see, we're, we're going to be launching later. Um, again, don't open it yet. Just want to kind of keep the teaser on there a little bit. Uh, so don't open it yet. But we're going to be launching our, our very imaginatively described and called the Bible Reading Plan. Um, I won't go through the kind of the why we got to that, but it's a, there we are, Bible Reading Plan. Now, first of all, what we're going to do, instead of like opening that and kind of describing what that is, we're going to try and look at the Bible and essentially ask the question, you know, kind of why bother with it? Because what, what's in there is something which is going to kind of take us through the New Testament in a year, and we're going to try and do it together as a church. Uh, but in a sense, we've got to say, why bother? Because when we leave, and uh, you're thinking, you're probably nodding and go, yeah, that's a good thing uh, in church, we're probably going to nod at that. But get out there, week by week, why bother? Why bother with uh, the Bible at all? And in some ways it feels slightly wrong, doesn't it, to ask that kind of question. We're in a church, we're going to say. And we might even say, we're an evangelical church. And what does that mean? Well, uh, that means we're people of the evangel, which means the gospel. That word evangel is a gospel word. And that means we're Bible people, essentially. We're a Bible church, if you like. Uh, let's just play a little game, though, to kind of unpack that a bit. <clears throat> If I were to say, let's play a word association game, like you can turn to the person beside you and do this very quickly, don't worry. If I say to the word rugby to you, what would you say? You'd probably say island or something like that, which is very disappointing, and we won't go down that route of word association because that would just be terribly awful. Um, anyway, but if I were to say the word Bible, so if you say Bible to the person beside you, what's their, the immediate associative word that they would say to you? Give it a go. See, go and try it. Just for 20 seconds. <laughs> Now, you could have gone down the very positive route. Some of you are going, oh, I'm not sure what to say. You've probably come out with all the Christian cliches, the Sunday school answers, Bible, God, life-giving word, a spirit-filled word, all these kind of things you would have said, and it would all be right and absolutely right, but you could have gone down the slightly negative route, maybe honest route, if, for some of you, big, slightly dull, um, difficult at times. You could have said all those things, maybe. Now, what you said about the Bible doesn't accurately describe often what you think in reality, does it? Because how do you really approach the Bible day to day in your weekly life? How, how do you feel about it? What's your approach to it? You see, we're all very good, aren't we, at putting on a show. I often ask people, you know, when I meet up with them, I say, hey, how's your, how's your Bible reading going? How's your prayer going uh, in your lives? And, and then after that slightly awkward moment, you know, um, I always reckon on about, they tell me about 50%. Now, you see, we need to know how important the Bible is to us. What a great gift of it is to us. Why there is no substitute. Uh, and I hope and pray in some ways that the question to us today is not, why bother with the Bible? But rather, I hope and pray that we'll all be saying, how can I not spend more time hearing God speak to me through his word? If you're anything like me, though, you're kind of going, is there an easier way? We all want easier ways, don't we? I remember when I used to be slightly more involved in sport, and uh, people used to come to ask me, and they said, like, you know, is there an easier way? Um, I, I want to get really good at a sport. Um, I want to get really fit. I want to lose some weight. Is there a, an easier way that I can get? And the answer is always the same, isn't it? No. 
slightly more sensitively said generally, but no, there isn't. You just can't do it. If you want to get fit and lose weight, you just can't look at a treadmill, can you? No, you have to get on the thing, you have to lift some weights, you have to eat less. It's just so obvious, isn't it? You also can't do what I observed in the gym the other day, which is, there I was running on the treadmill, and this, this lovely lady sort of came beside me. I was like sweating, you know, all the normal stuff, you know, actually working on this treadmill. And a lady came beside me, and, and no joke, I think she put it on the bare minimum speed that she possibly could, and then proceeded for the whole time that I ran, which was about half an hour, texting her mates, and then calling a lady called Jane on speakerphone. I heard the whole conversation. Honestly, she didn't, I reckon she must have used about four calories, which is like a mouthful of celery. No, I'm sure she got a, you know, some benefit, whatever, but hardly anything. If you do that, you're not going to get what you really want or need. And it's like that with God. You know, if you want to know God fully, grow in your love for God, and honour him in your lives, there is one place that you need to go. And it's obvious, and it's simple. Have a look at your outlines and you'll see on your sheets there. Uh, three quick points, but you'll see we're going to do uh, the first uh, to spend uh, most of our time on that. We can know par- God partially through his world. We can know God fully through his word. Now, cast your eyes down. Uh, Psalm uh, 19, have a look at it. Verse 1, Psalm 19, verse 1, what does it say? The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. The point is simple as we turn uh, into God's word here. Uh, If you want to know God, you can know him partially as you look about his world. What are the heavens and creation telling you about God? You'll see, I've got a beautiful image of that for me. We've got a nice image of that. If we put it on one, you might find one. There we go. Look, what are the heavens, the stars, what are they declaring? What are they speaking to you about God? See, if we believe, verse 1, that the heavens are declaring, God is communicating to you. And lots of people kind of understand this to a degree, don't they? Uh, they look around the world uh, and, they, and they say they feel close to God as they stare out at the, the night sky. It helps them know God, they would say. It helps them make them feel close to God. Have you noticed that a number of world religions, whether you study them at school, have you noticed how a lot of them look around at creation and they go, oh, we can know something of God. Have they got God right, though? You see, they're right in some ways, but they're also very wrong. You see, the heavens do declare something about God to us. But what do you really know about God when you look at the heavens above and the creation around us? And David, who's writing this song here, this psalm, uh, he's uh, saying you can know something. You can know God partially. You can know a little bit about God as you look around at the world. You can see all the kind of other images coming behind you. Look how David points to all of the creation around us, though. He's not just looking at the heavens above. He's looking everywhere. Look at what he says, verse 1. The the heavens declare. The skies proclaim in verse 2. Their voice goes out to all the earth. 
Wherever you look in creation, God is speaking, he's communicating, and to every single person, to the ends of the earth in verse 4. You see, whether it's the sun, or the clouds, or the moon, the stars, the vastness of the stars in the sky, all of those things are communicating to us something about God. But look at verse 3, because we've got a bit of a problem here. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. I wonder if I could borrow one of the, uh, the boys for a moment. Um, Joel? It's really hard, isn't it? Don't. What I was saying to you, if I were to say, can you open the Bible, please, at Psalm 19, that would be a lot easier than what I've just said, wasn't it? You see? Well done. Go sit down. <laughs> I said, come here, open the Bible, add a psalm, a song, number 19. It was so clear, wasn't it? But there were no words. Joel, you did brilliantly. Well done. It was really good. The problem with creation, you see, it speaks to us, but without words. It, it's not clear. Yes, we can look at creation. You can feel something, can't you, as you look about creation. It might even move you terribly, uh, you know, really deeply in you. But creation, it, it's, not, it's not meaningless. Creation is speaking to us, but it's speaking to us without words. About a creator. And it's not just a small bit of communication, isn't it? Yeah, look at verse 2. Creation speaks loads. It pours forth, it says. Speech. It's shouting at you. Why don't you try and, put, uh, you know, try and stop God speaking tonight as the sun sets? Go on, give it a go. See if you can stop the sun setting. It's pretty hard, isn't it? God is constantly speaking to us night after night, day after day, moment after moment. And he also speaks to everyone and everywhere in the whole world. They look at verse 4. Their voice goes out to all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. What's the point? Creation is not just whispering to the world. It's like a megaphone from God saying there's a creator. The heavens declare the glory of God. Now let's put that... Um, Next one, there it is. The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. You see, when you look up at the night sky on holiday, I have to say that because we're in London, you never see the stars in London, but as you see the stars on holiday, God is speaking. Well, creation is speaking something of God. Uh, if you ever have a privilege to see a wave like this beautiful wave I found here, this is the next one. Look at that. Don't you want to go on that? If you ever have a privilege of being in a wave or surfing a wave or seeing waves like this, it's speaking something of who God is to us. The wave is shouting, isn't it? God is majestic. He's powerful. He's massive. He's glorious. The wave is kind of saying, if you think I'm beautiful, big and glorious, you want to see my creator. You see, creation speaks about the glory of God. Now, glory is a very difficult thing to define, isn't it? 
It's kind of God's power and his beauty kind of coming together, mixed into one, which is why David then spells out the power of God uh, displayed in creation too. Look at it. The skies proclaim the work of his hands, his powerful hands. Creation, you see, testifies again and again to God's power. It's his work. He put it there. It's glorious. So we can see his glory. When God speaks with power and authority, things are created and ordered. The sun rises and falls because God ordered it that way. That's why verse 4, you see, uh, and and verse 6 as well, God has put the sun in its place, pitched a tent for it, the the language goes. The sun just does what it's told, it goes on its course, its circuit, and it's all under the powerful word of God. Creation speaks, you see, abundantly, constantly, universally about the glory and power and authority of God. So you see, we can know God partially. We can know God a bit through his world. But what does that mean for us? What does that mean for your friends at school? Or your neighbours? Or your colleagues at work? Well, the thing is, you see, uh, Paul, when he speaks to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 1 uh, and verse 18 onwards, he speaks about this. And the fact is, because we can see God speaking through his creation, it leaves us, none of us can have any excuse before him. When you meet God at judgment, none of us will be able to say, God, I didn't know you. I'm sorry, I didn't know you. Or, you know, I, I didn't know you were there. I didn't know I was supposed to kind of worship and follow you or anything like that. And you have to say, what about your friend who's, who's never been to church, who, who, who never has opened a Bible? Well, at judgment, you see, every star and every planet and every tree will be witness against any of their excuses. Yes, you did know. And God has been declaring to you his glory all your life. When you stand before God, you see, on that last day, there'll be no excuse And there'll be no excuse for your friends and your colleagues and your neighbours. If you've seen the sky, no excuse. If you've seen a blade of grass, no excuse. If you've lived in the intricately created body of which you've habited all of your life, no excuse. We can know God partially through his world. So then, again, why is the Bible therefore so important? Well, we can see the glory of God in his creation. And you kind of go, is that not enough? Well, it is for so many world religions. But do you see the difference? Let me try and show you why the Bible is so important. You see, in all the power and all the glory of creation... We can only know something of God. The Bible's important, you see. Second point, because we can know God fully, fully through his word. And what does that mean? It means we can go know God truly, personally, intimately, as we meet him and hear him speak through the Bible. And David, the writer, makes it clear in a number of ways. Right, get your heads down. I'm going to show you a bunch of ways why David makes it really clear. Have a look. It's it's extraordinary this. Notice how in the shift in the way that he writes from verse 7 onwards. Previously, he's written all these kind of terms of pictures. 
And now, he speaks in terms of reality. So previously there were voices, now there are laws, statutes, precepts, commands, ordinances, real words. God speaks in the Bible, you see, precisely and clearly. Also notice creation reveals to God to our centres and to, to our eyes and to our ears. That's how we see God in creation, isn't it? But where does, where does God speak in the Bible? Well, the Bible goes so much deeper because God reveals himself now to our hearts. Look at the verse, verse 7. Reviving the soul. Verse 7 again, making us wise. Verse 8, giving joy to the heart. See, you watch a beautiful sunset, yeah? And what happens? You can, and it's, it's so lovely, isn't it? You, you, kind of, you just go, wow. And like, it's just amazing. And it, it's just, oh, wow. But how long does that feeling last? Just minutes, isn't it? You see, the Bible goes deeper because it transforms us completely and it lasts for eternity. Now here's the critical thing about this psalm. Notice the change in the way that God is addressed. And as my good friend John Long will say, this will blow your mind, dudes. Okay? This will absolutely explode you. Um, so have a look. First six verses, God is mentioned once. Where? Look at it. Find it. Where is God mentioned in the first six verses? In verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. Brilliant. Now God, the word used there in the original language, is, is the most general term that could be used for God. Simply the word El in, in the Hebrew. And it just means God is kind of a face, a mask, a veil God. Just general God. You can know something of God. But then look at verse 7. Do you see the change? David now speaks at one, in a number of times about God. But now, how is God spoken about? How is he addressed? What's the word used? Lord, in capitals. And there, in our English Bibles, that is essentially the word Yahweh. I can't say it, nor can many of you, so that's all right. That's why in the English Bibles we have capitals Lord. It's God's relationship, covenant name. Do you see what David is doing there in this psalm? In the first section, God is the majestic, faceless God, glorious and powerful, but you can't really know him. If you want to know God and have a relationship with God, creation, you see, is not good enough. But it should want to make you look further, dig deeper, find out more. And where do we find out more? We look to his word, the Bible. Because that's where you find the Lord, capitals. The covenant relationship God who longs to have a relationship with you. So as we open the Bible, amazingly, we can know God fully through his word. Why bother then? Because it shows us that we can be in relationship with the powerful creator now and for eternity who absolutely loves us. Also notice all the parts of the Bible get a mention, the law, the statutes, the precepts, the commands. You see, God has shown us how to be in relationship with him and shown us how to live in the best way and the most happy, the most blessed way in this life today. God promises here, you see, as we open up the Bible, he will work in us and he does that by his spirit. And look at the results. As we hear God speak through his word, it revives our souls. And looking at some of you this morning, that's what you need. 
not just caffeine. It makes wise the simple. It gives joy to our hearts. Is that not what we want? It gives light to our eyes. And that is why Ash really helped me. He said, oh, is my volume gone massively up? Anyway, maybe I'm just shouting more, I'm not sure. Um, and that's why I was really helpfully said, it is so precious, more precious than gold, as sweet as honey. Do you really believe that though? Really? What means more to you? Is it your possessions, your gold, essentially what you can accumulate? Or is it time hearing God speak through his word, the Bible? What is most precious to you in your life? And is the Bible anywhere in that kind of spectrum of what is precious to you? Is it sweet as you listen to God speak through his word, the Bible? I, I, I do wonder, as I was preparing this, I wonder if so many of us have such poor expectations as we open up the Bible. Are you expecting God to enliven, to instruct, to revive, to bring joy? Are you expecting that as you open those words? I just think sometimes we have so low expectations as we read the Bible. I've got uh, three envelopes here. I was given them as I came in. And uh, imagine that in this envelope there was a rescue plan uh, for you. Imagine that you've been diagnosed. I mean, it'd be terribly sad, but with a, a life-ending illness, you had a week to live. Imagine that in this envelope, there was a rescue plan that if you just bothered opening it and reading it, you would live. But you just go, ah, oh, right. fancy a bit of cake, can't bother to read it. And you throw it away. Imagine in the, this envelope there was a love letter. This letter was for you, from someone telling you how much they were willing to do for you, how much they loved you and willing to sacrifice for you. Oh, I've got to go and play football. I'm not going to read that. Don't need to know. This envelope uh, has an inheritance in it. A lawyer gave me this one. It was a very, very uh, well-dressed man. And uh, he, a family member had died... Inside, there is a, they were a multi-multi-billionaire. And uh, they just, they're going to give me a good slice of their inheritance. But, I wasn't sure really, I can't, no, I'm not sure I can really trust it. And I, I just don't want to bother opening it really. There's just no point. It's extraordinary, isn't it? As we open up the Bible, we see God's rescue plan for our lives. We hear of his amazing love for us. We see the inheritance awaits and some of us can't even be bothered to open it up. And hear God speak and God pour out his love for each one of us. I wonder, are you going to ignore God's word? You see, we can know God fully through his word. Uh, but as we finish now, lastly, we must respond we must respond. And David, who writes this psalm here, uh, shows, if you, shows us, if you like, the, the way to respond in verses 12 uh, through to 14. Uh, why don't you uh, just have a look, cast your eyes down and have a look at that again. See, when God is revealed to us in his creation and specifically in his word, 
there is an appropriate way that all of us should respond to him. And David, look how he does respond. Look how honest he is. He realises that he's been making an absolute mess of his life. He'd been living for himself and not for God. Look at the words he uses, verse 12, in errors, uh, his hidden faults in verse 12. Again, underlying rebellions that no one knows about. And you've got them and I've got them. Willful sins in verse 13. The things he just says, stuff you, God. I'm going to do things my way, not your way. And when we're confronted, when we dare to open up God's Word, the Bible, we're exposed for what we are in comparison to what He is. He's the Creator God. He is big. We are small. He's the Covenant Lord, in verse 7 to 11. He is perfect, and we are not, and yet He loves us. And we try and convince ourselves often, don't we, that we're okay, I'm not as bad as, you've seen that kid in my class, or you've seen that person at work, have you seen that? Uh, we try and justify ourselves, don't we, and say, hey, I'm not so bad. But God's word does something much deeper, doesn't it? It shows us who we really are. It makes us be honest about our own hearts and our own lives. <coughs> But it also shows us how much we are loved. Look how David responds. He prays in verse 13, asking God, uh, may his sins and so on, may they not rule over me. He's been ignoring God. He's done some awful things. And now he's turning back, longing to hear God speak to him and work in his life. And what happens when we do that? Well, look at verse 13 again. Then I will be blameless, David says, innocent of a great transgression. You see, he's trusting in the promises of God shown to him in the Bible and shown to us in and through the Bible and in Jesus Christ. You see, in Jesus, we too can be, as David prays it, blameless, innocent in God's sight. As Ash took us through last week, that's what we call the doctrine of justification. That wonderful swap, that Jesus' perfect life can be counted as mine. And my sinful life can be punished on him, on the cross. David is a wonderful example of someone who drifted so far from God. But instead of running from God, he now draws near and he listens to God in the Bible. David deserves judgment, but he trusts that he will be forgiven as he asks for help. From who? Look at verse 14. From his rock and redeemer. That redeemer in that verse has been given in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I said, he's the one who lived that perfect life that you couldn't live and died in our place on the cross, taking all the punishment that our sins deserve. He's our redeemer because he's bought us that's what a redeemer does. He's bought us from what we deserve to be with him in heaven in glory. You can ignore God or you can listen to God through the Bible. You can respond or reject Jesus, your rock and your redeemer. So if you come back, why bother with the Bible? Because God speaks through it and he reveals himself 
and his love and his mercy and his forgiveness and his saving rescue plan for you and the glorious inheritance that awaits for you. How are you going to respond? Well, I guess we must pray like David. Knowing the Bible will show us who we really are, very small and very needy before God. And then we pray that we turn to our rock and our redeemer, namely Jesus. So why don't you take hold of this very quickly at the end. Grab hold of this, everyone. <clears throat> the Bible reading plan. Now, what is this? We, um, we had someone here preaching a few weeks ago, a few months ago now, um, who shared that they've been doing something like this in their own church. And uh, they've been reading through together uh, big check, uh, sections of the Bible, a chapter a day. And we thought that would be a really good thing. A number of you came up to me and said, we'd like to do that. And so, yes, we are going to do that um, if you want to. It, let's just think what it is, though. It is not an exercise to simply gain knowledge. It's so that we can see more of God and respond to him appropriately. Understand his glory and his love for us. We're going to start tomorrow if you want to. Again, as I said, this is not compulsory. So you can join in if you'd like. Don't worry. Um, and you'll see it's five days a week. Uh, we're not going to go on the, on the weekends, but we're going to do a memory verse at the weekends. And that's going to be posted to you, um, we hope. Um, do take these. Uh, do engage it and do support one another in it um, if you want to go about it. But why? Because you want to hear God speak to you so that you understand his love for you and his sacrifice for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, you'll see on the top there there's a bunch of questions uh, that maybe just as you've read the chapter of the Bible you want to ask these of yourself. What does this say about God? So the passage. What does it say about his people? about people, sorry, and what's the difference does it make to you, how you think, how you live? And then pray, pray in the light of that. Look, I hope these are super helpful for us as a church as we go through it. Um, <clears throat> just a, as a kind of a technical issue, we are going to email you the passage every morning um, at six o'clock in the morning, because I recognise that some of you get up very early. Um, and it's going to come to your um, inbox at six o'clock, you can immediately unsubscribe from that if you so choose. We will not take offence. Um, but if you want to do, do the, in the sort of more paper version, slot it in your Bible, and uh, and that's totally fine. We wanted to give you options basically, and um, so uh, you can either do it or not do it. You can do it electronically or not electronically, and we hope that's enough options for you. Um, look, I'm going to turn uh, to God in prayer. Let's turn and speak to the Lord Jesus our rock and our redeemer.